The nail in the coffin! Okay, let's uh, try this one more time. Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin, episode number 13. I am Tom Valentino. I'm joined, as always, by Travis Uly. Trav, we had some uh, technical difficulties there. Uh, rare. We're back in the game. We are. Let's uh, let's do this. Um, we also we have a guest tonight, longtime uh, Cavs fan, uh, family season ticket holder, uh, Nick Carabine. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Excellent. So we just watched as the Cavs wrapped up a win in Brooklyn, got things uh, back on track a little bit, which, thank God, I would hope so. Uh, Brooklyn um, not going to be putting a scare into anyone this year, but uh, we are still reeling a little bit, at least I am. I don't know how you guys are feeling after the uh, train wreck on Monday night, uh, national TV home game against the Warriors. Nick, I'll start with you. What happened out there? I got to be honest with you. I was nothing short of disturbing on Monday night um, to come out so lackadaisical and lifeless against uh, the team that uh, celebrated a championship on your home floor just five or six months ago. It was really disappointing. Um, you know, give credit to Golden State. Um, you know, they hit 19 of 40 uh, from three, which uh, – with those kind of stats, you're not going to win too many ball games. But to not put up any fight on a nationally televised game was uh, pretty disappointing, and um, you know it's, it's really unwatchable. Trev was uh, was that Ernest I heard over there wanting to no, chime in his two cents? I think that was Nick's. Ernest is yeah. dozing over here. <laughs> yeah, we got Marvin here as well. Sorry oh, Marvin. Okay. <laughs> Even he was all fired up about what happened on Monday night. No, Ernest is asleep after like eight thirty. <laughs> He's right next to me, but I have to. I have to echo what Nick was saying. I was actually down there. Um, the best part of the night was about five minutes into the first quarter when my season ticket rep texted me and asked me if I wanted to sit in a suite instead of up in Loudville. So that was a positive. Everything from that was downhill. Um, I went down there with my lady friend. We grabbed some dinner beforehand. Everything was good. We got in there all excited. I saw way too many little punk-ass kids wearing Stephen Curry shirts. But once the game started, they pretty much had way more fun than I did. There were a lot of things to take away from that game. I think the thing for me that was the most jarring was when you, when you start watching all these games, you become real familiar with what your team wants to do and who they want to run plays for, where they want to get guys' looks. And you could tell right from the get-go on Monday night, the Cavs just looked all out of sorts. Um, and it was just – it was really startling to me to just see – it looked like I was watching a different team out there for most of the night. Really discouraging, I guess. I, the worst part about it, I mean, the game was literally over within like three or four minutes. I mean, they just – there was never a point in that game where they they, kept, never, they, they never showed an ounce of of uh, fight in them. I mean, it was just pathetic. 
Yeah, and you never, yeah, you never got a feeling at any point that okay, I mean they're down what ten, fifteen, twenty points, but they're gonna make a run here. You never got that feeling. Um, every time it seemed like every time the Cavs would, they had a couple baskets that got people like thinking, okay, maybe we can do it, and Golden State answered every single time. The way that Golden State shot the ball, it, it's hard to think that the Cavs would have stood much chance either way even if their offense was humming, but um, the way that they just, I mean, they looked lifeless, like Nick said, and they were, they didn't look as excited. They looked like uh, Golden State played like the team that lost in the finals last year and was hungry to, to right their perceived wrong. And the Cavs just looked like they didn't show up ready to play at all at any level with the exception of probably J.R. Smith. Yeah. Just watching the game tonight, it seemed like they got back into some of the good habits um, that they have when they're winning games, moving the ball, getting a lot of different guys involved, uh, picking up the pace a little bit. Uh, that that game on Monday against um, Golden State, it just kind of was another example in what's unfortunately, I think, becoming a disturbing trend a little bit where it seems like when they get into these big-time games – Cavs have a tendency to fall into some really bad habits. Uh, you start seeing a lot of isolation, a lot of dribbling, a lot of one-on-one. Defensive rotations are all out of sorts. And it just – Nick, are you seeing the same thing I am there? Definitely, and I think it comes down to a trust issue. I think LeBron has just – you know, in games against the Nets and the Sixers and, you know, Washington, you know, you can lean on your other guys and – you know, if Love and Kyrie aren't making their shots, it's not a big deal because the other team's not going to jump down your throat. But I think when you start playing the Spurs and the Warriors and the Thunder, I think LeBron starts to maybe, I don't know if he's questioning his supporting cast, but maybe just doesn't have the confidence in them or the trust in them. And that's when you start seeing LeBron trying to do too much with one-on-one. Same thing with Kyrie at the same time. I mean, it's like all all team ball goes out the window when there's a little bit of a uh, adversity uh, shoved their way. Yeah. I think it was Terry Pluto either over the weekend or last week had a, a column where he was talking about that and how LeBron is such a strong leadership force on their team that when you get into those crunch time situations, the other guys defer to him too much and, and they look to their leader too much. And, and that's when you start getting too much of the standing around and, and not trusting that what you said there, trust it, it's the perfect word because you could just see it. Um, there's a certain style of basketball that the Cavs tend to start um, drifting towards. And I know like during the finals last year and, and kind of that playoff run, they really started uh, playing less efficient basketball. And I know LeBron – was very open about the fact during the playoffs last year, he didn't care about his efficiency stats anymore, especially as much as he did in Miami. And it was going to be, let's slow down the pace. And, and it was a lot more dribbling. There's a lot more isolation, it, him playing that bully ball style. And I, I've started calling it blunt force trauma basketball with just how, how dominant he tries to be at certain points. And I just, you could beat 25 or 26 other teams in the league doing that, but you're not going to beat Golden State playing that way. You're not going to beat San Antonio playing that way. Trev, what do you think? 
I think last year in the finals, the way that you're right. I mean, every it, it seemed like the entire offense was pound the arrow of the ball and you know just LeBron ISO. And I think it was last year during the finals. It was almost by necessity because uh, Love and Kyrie were both missing. I think he just kind of felt like the only real chance they had. They weren't going to be able to keep up with Golden State if it got out to if it was an offensive game where um, you were running back and forth and trying to keep up with them offensively. So I think a lot of what he tried to do in the finals last year was slow the game down a bunch, limit the possessions, try to maximize the ones that you get, and obviously get get the occasional stop on, on defense. But just because he didn't have love and Kyrie, he didn't have any he didn't have anybody really reliable on offense because despite what JR did against Atlanta, he disappeared in the finals again. Um so I think that was sort of what his mindset was last year. Why he's still leaning on it this year, I don't know. Because I think if – I mean, he's a, he's an incredibly smart guy when it comes to basketball. He has to realize that their best chance is to move the ball a lot on offense, get everyone involved, um, have have those situations where it's not just him going one-on-one and trying to get to the basket. Um but more more of a set offense, and I, we saw it a little bit tonight. And you'll you've seen it a lot. I think it was probably more noticeable early in the year, but um, before Kyrie came back, at least that the offense is working best when you're moving the ball around a lot. You're getting uh, Love involved pretty regularly, making sure that he stays engaged because I think that was what we missed on Monday as well. So why he he's fallen back into that trap like he did on Monday, I don't know. But I think that's something they need to definitely need to address sooner than later and i'm surprised it's it's popping up again honestly well trev you you brought up how the uh the wind sort of shifted direction once Kyrie came back into the lineup nick let me ask you about this it seems like kevin love has been the guy who has uh had the hardest time figuring out what his role is in in the offense especially since Kyrie has come back, he had really carved out a nice niche for himself through the first six or seven weeks of the season, and his numbers have nosedived since then. Um, are, are they back to square one in terms of trying to build some continuity right now? I I actually uh, I I have a little bit of a theory that um, the Cavs purposely were keeping Kyrie out for a little bit of time, just to get Kevin Love some confidence and chemistry with LeBron. I mean, if you remember when Kyrie got injured in June when he broke his knee, they said the original timetable was three to four months, which would have put him back in the lineup, you know, before the season started. And he didn't come back until mid-December. And you heard the reports that Kyrie was itching to get back. You know, he was ready, and I think he was ready. And I think they purposely were not getting him back in because they knew that, you know, this was going to be an issue. And I think they wanted to get Kevin Love started on, on the right foot, which he did. And then, of course, you know, when Kyrie comes back, you know, we are back to square one. And it's, you know, you watch Kevin Love, and I don't know if it's a coaching issue or a player issue, but the guy looks lost out there sometimes. And, I mean, you can't have your uh, – I, mean, I, I don't think he's worth max money, but he, is, he has a max contract. And you can't have a guy like that just sitting in the corner – waiting to chuck up a three when he touches the ball. I mean, you, you got to start putting him in the post or get him in at the elbow, have an inside-outside game. 
Um, it's just, I don't know if it's Blatt who has no idea how to use them or Blatt does try to use them and the, and the players are just, you know, shoving Blatt away, which, you know, that wouldn't surprise me either. So, but it is an issue and it's a concern. And when we talk about ball movement, this team's unstoppable when they move the ball. But when you bring Kyrie back, you know, you already have LeBron, who's an ISO guy, and now you got Kyrie, who's another ISO guy. So you got two ISO guys on the floor. You know, you're just not going to see any ball movement that much. Um, and, you know, Kevin Love, unfortunately, is just the odd man out. Do you think, Nick, that, I mean, I don't disagree with you on that they may may have held Kyrie back a little bit to try and foster that that development of love in the offense. Why do you think when they brought him back, they didn't continue to make like an effort? It doesn't, it, it kind of yeah, seems I like, I, I think you're right that they probably did do that to try and get him more involved. But it also seems like once Kyrie came back, they kind of abandoned that, even though I think it was working pretty well. I just think you got a lot of egos on this team. You know, you got LeBron, you got Kyrie who are both, you know, career 20 plus point scores. Um, and, you know, love is too, but love doesn't have the advantage of bringing the ball down and being able to dribble on the top of the key for 20 seconds during a shot clock. And also, I'm not so sure that, you know, I think love also, you know, regardless of whether or not Vlad is, is putting in plays for love in his system, love just needs to do a better job of demanding the ball. I mean, like I said, sometimes he looks lost out there. He looks disinterested, you know, just go in the post and call for the ball. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. You're a big, I, I, I agree top. with that. I heard someone say it yesterday. Like, if, if he he has that post game. I don't know why he refuses to do it. I think because he just doesn't get the ball. But just go sit on the block and call for the ball. They'll have to give it to you eventually. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the numbers. I don't know why he refuses to do that? The numbers bear it out. I think I, the stat I saw was before Kyrie came back, he was getting I think it was about five and a half touches in the post per game. And now, with Kyrie in the lineup, it's under four, which, I mean, you're thinking one, one and a half touches per game doesn't really sound like much, but that that's a significant drop. And it's clear that he's not, I feel like the thing that kind of frustrates me a little bit is, and I know I'm kind of shifting directions here, that for his Oddly, as they seem to use him, a guy that is capable of posting and a guy that's capable of working from the elbow, he ends up on the perimeter way too much. For for all the, the negligence, if you will, he still seems to get a lot of pretty clean looks as de- defenses collapse onto LeBron and onto Kyrie. And his shooting numbers, even with these wide open looks, he's just flat out missing shots. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know that he's. I don't. I don't think his his uh, field goal percentage is necessarily where it should be. I think he is sort of like we've hinted at. He's just not as comfortable as you'd like him to be. Um, I mean, his three point percentage this year. I, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's it's noticeably small or lower than you expect and are used to seeing from him. Um, but I think in terms of how the offense works, if you're Kyrie or LeBron and you have Love. Uh, down on the block calling for the ball, it makes your job a lot easier if you can get it down to him, if he can pull that defender away. Um, and if they do double him, then he just kicks it right back out. You have a defender coming out late, and you can go past him usually. So uh, I don't know. I would I would like to see them try to just force that stuff a little bit more. Definitely. Um, it definitely seemed like they – it. it definitely seemed like tonight 
they tried to make a concerted effort to get him going early and get him some shots and some different spots on the floor. So I think that's encouraging. But again, I think we need to see it against one of these upper echelon teams. Yep. I mean, you could... I don't, yeah, I don't really care about 15 point wins against Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't put much stock. In. I mean, I'm glad they, you know, it, and it's obvious when they're trying to get him going. I mean, that's a thing. It's like, sometimes he's, he's either the game plan or he's not in the game plan at all. There's like no in between. And, you know, LeBron joked in the beginning of the year that Kevin Love was the focal part of the offense. I mean, that's ancient history at this point. I mean, most games, you know, he's not even a part of the game plan whatsoever. Uh, tonight he was, but, you know, you're playing the lowly Brooklyn Nets, and, you know, I'm not going to put too much stock into his performance. Big picture. But we can't really – I'm not going to – jump off the I-480 bridge here after what happened on Monday night. Um, But what do we take away from that loss to the Warriors? I I think personally there was a lot of talk that uh, it seemed like the narrative all year has been, well, if the Cavs had everybody healthy last June, they could have won in the finals. And at some point, I feel like a lot of people, whether it was within the locker room or within the fan base, it seemed like there was a a shift in the narrative from we could have won to we would have won. And it sounds real subtle, but I I think there was a little bit of an attitude that started to creep in with let's just get to June healthy and we're going to be fine. And I, I just wondered, as a game like Monday night, especially in light of the way the the Cavs have played in some of these other big games. Does it kind of make people stop and rethink that? Um, I think probably not. It, it might make them take the step back from they would have won to they could have won. It'll probably take them down a notch in terms of overall confidence against those teams. Um, I think even the San Antonio game, which they lost and – Quite frankly, the way that San Antonio played the second half was nearly as dominant as uh, Golden State was on Monday. So even though it ended up only being a six-point loss um, on the road, I think it it still put that sort of, hey, if this team plays as good as they can play, we're in trouble. Um, See, that one at San Antonio didn't really bother me as much. That one, they were in it the whole time. They got off to a great start in that game. And it seemed like they just kind of faded. And they looked like a team that was playing its fifth road game in nine nights. And when you start seeing guys that are a step slow on defensive rotations, their form on their jump shots is breaking down. That just looks like fatigue to me. And it it played right into where they were at on that road trip. Yeah, I guess that could be. I mean, I still watch the way from what I saw in the second half. Um they just looked flat and you're, you're right. It could just be that they were on a long road trip and, and they were, they were flat. Maybe that's just what it was. But I think overall people are probably panicking a little more than they need to um, because it's only January. And if you look at where this team was last year at this time and where they were by the end of the year, they were further, they were way further behind last year than they are right now. Um, so while again, it's one game and yeah, it was ugly. Nothing about it was what you wanted to see. Um, the only thing that 
as fans, we shouldn't really take much from it at all. But you hope that they kind of take it as sort of a sort of a wake up call and just sort of a kick in the ass into we need to do things differently if we're going to get where we want to be. Nick, thoughts? Yeah, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. I, I, I'm going to put more stock into the Christmas Day game against Golden State, um, which was on the road um in a tough atmosphere and i think i think we only lost that game by six or eight points but it was close um that to me reflected more truly of our team than obviously monday um you know you had golden state come in with an absolute vengeance uh, a huge chip on their shoulder even though we were the ones who should have had a chip on their shoulder but you know they've been hearing it for six months that you know there's an asterisk next to their championship title because of you know they beat up on a team who wasn't healthy at all. So, I mean, they had a lot to prove, but what I, I'm, I'm not jumping off the bridge either, but what I think I take away most from Monday is this team still has a lot of bad habits that they fortunately have a good four months to clean up. And really those bad habits, I mean, sometimes they just come out incredibly lazy. Um, you know, we talk about the lack of ball movement, not getting back on defense, you know, not going in for rebounds. And, you know, a lot of times when times get tough again, that isolation ball and, you know, you're just settling for long jumpers. And again, you're not going to be able to beat, you know, the upper echelon teams playing that way. Um, so, you know, that's what I take out of it. I mean, I, you know, you never want to lose by 30 plus on your home floor, but, um, I, I, you know, I was watching first take yesterday and, you know, Stephen A. Smith is saying Blatt's got to be fired or Kevin Love needs to be traded. I think it's ridiculous to jump to that point after Monday, but certainly they need to, you know, fine tune some things. And the great thing about being in the East is, you know, you got a lot of time to do it. Okay. First off, I would not watch first take with a gun pointed to my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, that is that is your right, um, but I, I did really have a lot of time to digest an awful lot of analysis and and columns and stories and everything else in the fallout from that game. And the one thing that you mentioned there from first take, I, I heard a lot of elsewhere in terms of people talking about trading Kevin Love. I was shocked that that was a talking point for so many people. It feels a little bit to me like a lazy narrative, and I don't think it's even remotely close to being a possibility during the season. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. I think, I mean, people look, they're like, oh, they lost by 30-some points. Let's look at the box score. Kevin Love only scored three. It must be that Kevin Love sucks right now. Let's trade him. Um, he took an awful lot of uh, the brunt for that game when nobody played well. No, no one played well, and it, it you can only do so much if you're not getting the ball. I mean, like like Nick said earlier, he doesn't dribble the ball up. He doesn't hold it. He can't stop at the top of the key, uh, isolate everybody out, and take take the offense over by himself like Kyrie and LeBron are prone to do. Um, and, and the question is, I don't know what in the world people think you're going to get that's better than Kevin Love if you were to trade him. It would require a real 
radical reshaping of the roster. I don't think you're and, trading and him you're for another stretch four at that point. Like as as a team, in and what you're trying to do, you basically have to go back to square one. All right, that, that, I feel like no matter what you get, you're taking a step back, and I don't know that you can't you can't give up years. Yeah, a lot of the trade proposals I had seen floated out there all seemed to center around the idea of trading him for three uh, and D type wing players, um, multiple p- pieces rather than like a one for one swap for somebody else that can fit into that four spot. Um, but I, I, I like what you're saying, Travis, it just seems like that would require a massive uh, upheaval in terms of trying to build continuity. You'd really be setting yourself back. Um, but even beyond Kevin Love, I, I know there are some other pieces of, of the team that have come under scrutiny. Um, Timofey Mozgov has been another target for a lot of uh, abuse from the media and uh, the fan base here locally with the way he struggled for a lot of the year. Just o- overall, Nick, let me ask you this first. Are you happy with the roster that the Cavs have right now, or are you open to moving pieces to try to bring somebody else in? I like the roster as is. I just think we have some guys who, and you mentioned Mozgov is is probably the one who aren't playing up to their potential. I mean, if you look back into the playoffs last year, you could make an argument that Mozgov was the third or fourth most important player on the team, just just being a rim protector alone. Um, this year, I I honestly have no idea what happened. Um, I mean, I went from thinking last year that this guy could command close to a max contract to, I mean, you don't even know if he's going to play some games. Um, but I mean, he's, he's, he's shown some flashes over the last couple weeks, getting back to that rim protection, you know, his hands are God awful. They always have been. Um, so offensively you never know what to expect but at seven foot one in his size there's no reason that he shouldn't be a dominant rim protector all he has to do is stand under the hoop and uh for whatever reason he's just hasn't been that uh physical this year and i'm not sure why i know obviously had the knee problems um over the summer and then i think uh jason lloyd in his final thoughts a couple weeks ago said that uh he was going through some personal stuff, but didn't divulge into any of that stuff. Um, so some things might be affecting his play, but honestly, you know, I just, I don't know who you can go out there and get. And even if you do go out and get someone, I'm not, I'm a big chemistry guy when it comes to basketball. And I don't really think you want to disrupt this chemistry that you got going on. Um, look, I mean, we're still a top three team in the NBA. Um, and we've proven that we could play with the Spurs and with the Warriors uh, minus Monday night, but I don't think you just make a trade to make a trade. Um, I, I think we have a, a great roster. I just think, you know, some of the guys need to play up to their potential when it counts. Yeah, I think before you start talking trades even, you need to realistically look at how any any potential trade could improve you. And the way I look at it, I haven't seen anyone put together a a trade proposal that's reasonable that doesn't leave the Cavs noticeably worse than they are right now. So I don't I don't see the point in even exploring it 
of course, you'll listen if you're the Cavs, but I don't think they need to do anything. I think they need to stand pat and let kind of see if it works itself out. It's too, uh, it's way too soon to be uh, waving the white flag and trying to change uh, the direction that you're going. Yeah, that could be a real dangerous path to go down um, trying to build your roster specifically to face uh, a particular opposing team. And I think that was kind of something that really sunk the Cavs or it really got them in trouble in LeBron's first run here. Cause you can remember back, it was 08. They got beaten by the Celtics in the playoffs. And then after that, or no. Oh, I was no, thinking. 07 was when they went to the finals. 07, they went to the finals. 08, they got knocked out by the Celtics. And going into 09, they had made some moves that were with the um, intention of trying to gear up to face the Celtics again in the playoffs. And then they didn't even face the Celtics because they got bounced by Orlando. And then Orlando uh, ended up being a terrible matchup for the way that that Cavs roster got built in 09. And then in the following year, the Cavs brought in Shaq to try to neutralize Dwight Howard. And then they ended up not even seeing Orlando in the playoffs that year. So it's really hard for me to say, like, you need to go out and find somebody to specifically match up with the Warriors' uh, small ball front line because Mozgov or or Kevin Love or any of the other uh, slow-footed guys that they might have can't keep up with that lineup of death that the Warriors like to run out there or any particular lineup that the Spurs might be able to roll out there because you're only going to face one of those teams, and we don't really – we haven't even seen the Spurs – and the Warriors play yet this year, so it's kind of hard to even get a feel for which one you're more likely to see in the finals. Yeah, and the thing that I, that's I, mean, what I the one thing I'll say is, if you look at Kevin Love, if because that seems to be the the trendy guy to talk about trading right now, if you look at like what his skill set is and what he does really well, he's the perfect guy for this team to play with LeBron and Kyrie for what he does well in terms of. Uh, rebounding and outlet passing and the way that he can be effective on the block, but also be a good outside shooter. All of that should translate incredibly well into the offense. Now, obviously there's a steep learning curve and they haven't mastered it yet. But if you look at the way that the way that this team should ideally be successful with everyone else being the same, he he's, I don't know that there's maybe a better guy other than maybe Anthony Davis or someone who would be a better fit for that position and what they want, want someone to do there. Nick, it sounded like you wanted to jump in. Yeah, when you were talking about matchups and, you know, getting Shaq for Dwight Howard and stuff, I think that's what makes the Cavs so dangerous right now is presently constructed. I mean, you can go big or you can go small with the guys we have. I mean, you could play Tristan at the five, LeBron at the four, and go Timo at the five, Tristan at the four. You know, you could play three, four-guard rotations. Uh, I mean, you see Kyrie and Delvadova in the game at, at the same time all the time. I mean, they, they can put together so many different types of lineups that, I, that in my time I've never seen them be able to put, you know, together, you know, a small lineup or a big lineup or a fast lineup or a slow lineup. I mean, that I think that's what the Cavs have to their advantage right now. It Yeah, it, I, it definitely seems like the way they built this roster was with flexibility in mind. And... It, the other thing is the the notion of 
whether you're looking to trade a, a Mozgov or even a Kevin Love, which again, I just there's no way in hell that's happening this year um, during the season. I mean, let's see how things play out during the playoffs. We might there's a there's a fraction of a uh, percent that they might look into something like that over the summer. But I, I just can't see that now. The other thing to keep in mind, I just I hate the notion in general of trading away quality bigs and, and just trading size away. And I know the league's moving away from having bigs and, and putting an emphasis on, on a big front line. And it's becoming more about pace and space. But again, the Cavs have guys that are big, like Kevin Love. He's a guy, he's big, he can go hit the glass, but he can also uh, stretch the floor and, and shoot threes. And as long as it's not becoming the only thing he's doing at the offensive end, um, it just that that's too good of a piece to give up. Um, you know, I, the, the one thing I will say, and I know we've talked a lot about the offensive end and, and what they're doing down there and trying to figure out how to get everybody their looks and, and get them shots from the spots on the floor where they're comfortable. I do think they've got a lot of work to do defensively. Um, cause the smarter teams, those good teams are going to pick and roll them to death. And you saw it with San Antonio and you saw it with Golden State on Monday that they figured out how to get Kevin Love and, uh, and Kyrie as well into those uh, pick and roll situations. And the Cavs defensive schemes to this point are just not really geared to stop that. Um, I feel like that's something that they, they really need to try to clean up here in the next few months. Pick and roll defense has always been a, a real tough thing for us, and I, I don't know why. Um, you know, like you said, I mean, they're just attacking Kyrie and Kevin Love, who are obviously the, not only the two worst defenders in our team, but, you know, probably two of the maybe worst defenders in the East. Definitely Kevin Love. But, um, you know, they just need to either, you know, find a way to fight through those pick and rolls or, or do a better job at rotating. Uh, you know, you saw it. The Golden State, the first play of the game was a pick and roll to a wide open dunk uh, for Bogut. I mean, that's just unacceptable. Yeah, and that's that's something Kyrie's really going to have to um, take some responsibility on as well. He seems like he does not really enjoy dealing with a lot of contact uh, out on the perimeter in those screen situations, and he's going to have to kind of. Uh, um, fight through that a little bit and start fighting through more of those screens, I think. Yeah, I think overall you have certain guys that really stand out for their defense. Um, Shump in particular. Um, occasionally, we've talked about this before, JR is a pretty damn good defender. And um, Tristan, you, I wouldn't have expected it, and I guess I don't know if it has always been this way or if I just noticed it late last season and some this season, has, has turned into a pretty damn diverse defender and that he can he can guard the pick-and-roll pretty effectively. Those smaller, quicker guys, usually guys his size, um, aren't great at defending that type of stuff, and he's done a pretty admirable job in that uh, historically. And he holds his own against the bigger guys, but... I'll be honest, I don't even think LeBron's defense has been that great this year. Um, maybe it's an effort thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I maybe LeBron. it's age catching up with him, but I haven't been wowed by his defense either. I think LeBron tends to do that from season to season and kind of saves himself you know, for the playoffs or whatever till the end of the game. 
you see that a lot out of LeBron, both offensively and defensively. You know, he looks like he'll take some plays off, but I, I think that might just be his way of conserving energy. Which I'm okay with that. I hope that that's the case. I will say that uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but for what it's worth, there are some defensive statistics this year in terms of opponents' field goal percentage when LeBron, I think, is the closest defender. It's actually significantly down. So at least from that standpoint, it's not always pretty, and and he does get beat occasionally, get caught flat-footed trying to conserve energy. But by and large, I think his defense this year has actually been a little bit better than it had been uh, definitely last year. Have you seen those videos online of like where he'll just he'll see an open guy, but he doesn't think the guy's gonna make it? So instead of even like contesting it, he just immediately turns and runs down the floor to try and get an easy basket at the other end. Yes. They're hysterical videos, and you're like, what is he doing? He looks so lost, but... That almost feels like a psychological ploy to me. He's so, like, exactly. He's two steps ahead of everyone. He's just like, I'm pretty sure that guy's not going to make it. And me running towards him two steps and then booking it down the floor away from him has to rattle a guy a little bit. Like, if he's in his motion and he's wondering, what the hell is this guy doing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it might be more effective than we give him credit for. It is pretty funny, though. I, watching it and just, like, watching it on the surface and not really thinking too much about it, it's pretty hilarious. So, all right, let's 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 shift gears here a little bit. All-Star Game is going to be coming up here in mid-February, and uh, LeBron's going to be a lock for the starting lineup. I haven't seen any updated voting totals, but Kyrie Irving was hanging in there despite not playing much this year. Um do you guys want to see him in that game? Do you do you think he deserves a spot in that game? Oh, I, I don't think there's any question he doesn't deserve a spot in terms of what he's done this year. I mean, if if you're looking at this season and how he's played this season, um, yeah, well, since he come back, he's played like an all star. But overall, I mean, he's played. He'll he will have played what ten, fifteen games by then. I don't know when the when is the all star game? Like February twelfth, thirteenth, something like that. Yeah, it's right around Valentine's Day. He's played about 10 or 15 games now. Yeah, so he'll have maybe maybe 20 games under his belt, probably not even that. Um, going against guys that have played since week one and have, have logged 35 to 40 games at a comparable clip. So if, if you're just looking at overall performance this year, no, he doesn't deserve a spot, but it's an all-star game. And if the fans say they want to see him, just like Kobe's going to get in the All-Star game. There's no question he doesn't deserve it, but that's what the All-Star game is. It's an exhibition. It's for fans to see the guys they want to see. So in that respect, who really cares? Yeah, and I'm calling it right now. Uh, Kobe Bryant will be named uh, All-Star MVP. Oh, he's oh yeah, he's going to spend the whole fourth quarter chucking that game. Yeah. No one else is going to see it. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Do you guys think Kevin Love's going to get in? Um... Probably not. I think I think his best chance was to get voted in from he, – he got a pretty good push on Twitter um, of people logging his name a while ago. I think that's probably going to slow down, and I think um, – I don't know. I just think he'll probably fall victim the same thing he did last year where he's just sort of the forgotten man on a team that some people think might even be underachieving a little bit. Um, who knows if that's really the case, if they're underachieving. I think – like Nick just said, and we, I think we're probably all in agreement. 
with all their question marks, they still are probably far and away the third best team in the league. So from that respect, he probably I think he probably should just because I think he's one of the, I don't know, what is it, 25 total? Was it 12? They only do 12 guys for the All-Star game, right? Or is it 15? I thought it was 12 for some reason. But he's, he is one of the top 25 to 30 players in the league. Here's the thing that I think is just incredibly bizarre, and I'm trying to have a trying to wrap my head around it, is the fact that LeBron's numbers are great, but they are not what they were at when he was at his peak. And Kyrie's a question mark. Kevin Love's a question, I think an even bigger question mark because he's not going to get the fan vote. And there's really nobody else on that roster that you can make a case for. And yet they are far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference. Like, Something no doesn't question. add up. No. Here's a question for you. Uh, when we talk about All-Star Weekend, three-point competition, do you think Delva Delva is going to get a crack at that? He's second in the NBA at 44%. Oh, no way. He, he'll, he wouldn't get through the third rack. His motion is so long. Would, he, would, he'd be exhausted. It would be funny to watch. but You know, I, that's interesting. I, I didn't even consider him for that. And statistically, yeah, you're right. He 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 deserves a shot at it. I, I think I had heard a little bit in the past couple of weeks. Some of the players were kind of making a little bit of a push for Jr. to get a shot at that, and I'd kind of like to see him in it. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. He's like twentieth in uh, three point percentage, though. I mean, normally you know All Star Weekend they try to reward you know even if they're not pick to the all-star game they still try to reward winning teams so that's why i wouldn't be shocked if delva delva's asked to do the three-point contest that would be, be interesting i mean it'd be fun to see him in there yeah i he would need a little bit of a push from the team i think and I, i've not that's the first time i've heard anybody anywhere i'm not saying it's a bad idea i actually think it'd be pretty interesting to see him in it but that's the first time i, I, yeah. I mean i'm just going off bait you know Technically, he is second in the league in three-point percentage at 44%. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I got him at sixth right now. According to ESPN, he's sixth. Uh, I'm on Yahoo, so. J.J. Reddick's making 50%. Wow. He hit himself on night last night, too. But, um, no, yeah, I think it'd be fun to watch him. I don't think – personally, I don't think he'd do very well. I think his – the way that he shoots, his legs will be dead, and he's got a pretty slow uh, motion where I don't. I think he'd struggle to even get through all the racks. But it would definitely be fun to see him. Just to, yeah. he'd probably get booed by half the fans anyway. So for that, just, for that alone, I would love to see it. Just to confirm my mistake, I was I had him. I had it categorized by the East. So yeah, you're right. He's. Uh... Six in the NBA, second in the East is what I was looking at, so I was wrong. That's still uh, well with uh, within the range of well deserving for an invite. Suspected, I'm sure. All right, Nick. Any other thoughts on uh, what we've seen from the Cavs so far, big picture, and uh, where they're going? I don't see one single threat in the East. Um, you know, last year I was a little bit worried about the Bulls. Um, this year, I just. Really, I think our only uh, 
the only thing I'm worried about is us. I mean, <laughs> if we play up to our potential, we'll be fine. And I'm excited for, uh, you know, these next couple games that are going to be tougher games against the Clippers and then the Bulls. Um, so we'll find out a little bit more about ourselves. But I think uh, as long as we stay healthy and and play up to our potential, I mean, it's – I think we're going to be fine. One to ten, how confident did you feel before Golden State and after Golden State? As far as winning a championship or just – Yeah, if you, if you said, yeah, I feel this confident about how, how good we know. are, how far we can go. Did one, did one day alone change you? Not not too much. I I think we're gonna have a tough time beating anyone who comes out of the West, which either Spurs or Warriors. I don't know, but that's gonna be a tough matchup regardless. So I'm not entirely confident we would win a championship, whether or not Monday happened. I'll be honest. Um, that game shook me a little bit. I've come back off the ledge in the 48 hours or so since then, but that was the first time that I have had the feeling that if we have all our pieces in place, everybody healthy and we're hitting on all cylinders, I wasn't sure if we could win a title as presently constructed. That was the first time I I had a real doubt in my mind. I don't know. (laughs) I agree. I think that, I think a lot of that revolves sort of around the buildup though. You're like, finally we get to play them at home with all our players and then we get run out of the building and you're like, well, damn it. But I think, yeah, you're right. You you take a day or two, uh, catch your breath, get sort of get back where you need to be in terms of in terms of mindset as a team. And you can look at it a little more uh, clearly and say, hey, that's probably more an outlier. They might be better than us right now. I mean, there's probably zero question they're better than us right now, but um they're not 34 points better. No. And the night before they played us, they got, uh, they lost to what Detroit by 18 or something. So fluke games happen during the regular season in the NBA. Um, but like you said, I think the way that this team's constructed, they definitely are capable of winning. And I don't think Monday really moved me one way or another in terms of how I felt about that. Well, let me just I, clarify. I uh, just real quick, let me clarify that. Um, yeah, after the game, LeBron had talked about uh, their performance in big games, and he listed the the three games that they had played total against Golden State, San Antonio, and he also threw in the game against the Bulls that they had had on opening night. And just for me personally, I felt like there was, at least in my mind, a way that you could rationalize the losses up to that point. I think when they lost on opening night at Chicago, um, we were talking about how they didn't have much time together in training camp because Tristan had held out. Um, Kyrie and Shumpert were both out for that game still. They were nowhere near returning. Uh, Kevin Love was getting his first real game action um, in a game that counted in months um, because he had missed the whole playoff run for the most part. Just a lot of things happened in there. Um, and then the Christmas Day game, everybody was back. But again, it was like the second or third game where Kyrie was playing and, and he was still on a minutes restriction and Chump was still on a little bit of a restriction, I think, game at San Antonio, like I mentioned earlier. It was a fifth road game in nine nights. And, um, you know, they were just kind of fatigued. And that game on Monday night was the first time that I was like, 
what, what, what's the excuse? Like, how do you, how do you rationalize what you just watched here? I mean, they had had two nights off. I know they were coming off a road trip and there's that old conventional wisdom in the NBA that the first game back after a road trip is always difficult, but it ain't that difficult, especially when you've got two nights off, um, coming into the game and you know, it's a game that you're going to want to get up for. And and that was the performance. It just, it, it kind of shook me a little bit. Yeah, I agree, but I think since then, um, maybe I'm just rash trying to rationalize it to myself so I don't just give up altogether. But um, you, I'm just at a point where it's still a regular season game in January, and occasionally you have a really bad night and the other team has a really good night. But yeah, like you said, it would have been nice to see him come a little more uh, energized for a game that was about as meaningful a regular season game as you're going to have. So is it fair to say the general consensus is that uh, sky's not falling, still a championship contender, don't really necessarily need to make any panic moves, stick with the roster as it is, and there's going to have to be some work to do from within? Uh, I think that's where we're at, yep. I I think the next two weeks, too, are going to, show us a little bit more about ourselves, you know, playing Clippers tomorrow, Bulls on Saturday. Uh, we play the Spurs again, um, the 30th. Um, and we play at Detroit next week, which could be a tough game. So um, I think we'll have a better idea of, of where we are, you know, in the beginning of February after we play, uh, you know, these next 10 or so nights against some good teams. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that San Antonio game. I'll be down there for that. That should be a fun one. I thought tonight was a good sign. I mean, playing Brooklyn, I mean, they're a terrible team, but they could have easily went in there uh, and, you know, overlooked them for the Clippers tomorrow. Um, If we would have showed up poorly tonight, I would have been really, really worried, you know, especially after Monday. But the fact that we took control of that game right away and basically cruised through it, that was a good sign. Yeah, I I don't think there was any scenario I could have envisioned tonight where the Cavs would have lost that game but I absolutely could have seen a situation where it was still tight late in the fourth quarter and they had to kind of uh, really bear down and fight through it to, to get a close, ugly win. And like you said, thankfully, they just really took care of business and, and put them away early. All right, boys, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. Um, quick notes for uh, everybody um, listening out there uh, as a reminder as always you can subscribe to our show on itunes or stitcher and really if you are listening on an iphone or an ipad subscribing on itunes is absolutely the best way to go and uh, if you're on your computer you can always catch every episode of our show at our website thenailpodcast.com all right i think that'll do it um our thanks again to nick carabine for joining us you can follow him on twitter always insightful during games at Nick Carabine for Travis Uli. I am Tom Valentino. It's the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again next week. Coming up on five minute news. I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.